Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 281 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me this week, your friend and mine, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I am splendid, Chadwick. How are you? Oh, when you're splendid, it just always uh, sort of brightens my day. So I appreciate that. I'm, I'm feeling I'm much better just to, for having the opportunity to speak to you. I see. Just being in my presence makes everyone else's day better. It's yeah, that's generally the case. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, we're here to talk about the Reds. And, I, you know, this team, something I said a couple of weeks ago, you know, you and I have talked about movies a little bit. And, uh, and I'm going to reference one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, which is uh, The Godfather Part 3. Now, I know you and I have had our Godfather discussion. We're not going to get back into that. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but The Godfather Part 3 is one of the worst movies in the history of uh, cinema. But there's this one scene where Michael Corleone, the, you know, the the Godfather as it came, uh, you know, the head of the, the Corleone crime family, um he has this one line in the middle where he's just like every time I try to get out they pull me back in. And yeah, I was like, I know. That's kind of like that's kind of like the Reds, you know, they you think they're doing well and then they hit run off a losing streak and then you know, uh the Spring the All Star break comes and all right they're in pretty good shape and then they come out of the gates just awful and then but now you know after some ups and downs as we've seen it it has been a year long tease it has been it's been a roller coaster ride yeah started out one and eight and uh, you know have been a, a an above five hundred team since then I think fifty oh. fifty three and fifty since uh, that opening one and eight stretch which is about what we expected them to be was a fifty three and fifty team really. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Nah. Go ahead. Then at the same time, they're the they're the only team in baseball with a positive run differential and a losing record. We've kept we've been saying all year, something's got to give. Something's got to give. And uh, something may have uh, given a little bit here recently. The Reds are now four games under five hundred, and uh, seven games out of first place in the National League Central standings. But they are, as we record this, and as they begin a series against the Cubs that we're going to break down. The Reds are. Four games out of the wild card, the second wild card slot. So some teams ahead of them, but, uh, you know, the other side of that is the Reds are kind of in the mix. Now, I, let me let me put it this way, because you're an optimistic guy generally about baseball anyway. How excited are you? Yeah. How excited am I? Yes. Adequately excited? <laughs> Moderately Moderately, like it's it's fun. I'm enjoying this. It's nice, you know. I, I think I said on Twitter the other day that, you know, I, while I realize that you know with where they are, the odds are against them. I'm still paying attention to the standings in August, and that's an awfully nice change of pace. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, huh. and, and Chris Welsh said on the broadcast game tonight, "Isn't it fun to be uh, playing meaningful baseball in August?" And by the way, at the end of this uh, episode, as you've seen from the title, if you've already downloaded this and started listening. We got a good interview with Chris Welsh that, that, that we're going to play later in the episode. But first, I want to talk about these fun Reds. Just the fact that we were able to look at the standings and play games that actually mean something. Maybe are we being are we uh, asking too little of the Reds to to be excited about that? Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it does. It does. I think for this year, I think you know, I think for this year, no, it's nice because it's nice after how long that they've been bad for a while, very bad. And now that's that's nice. That's pleasant. And you know. One of the things that I think is worth noting is I like to look at the the fan graphs, like projected standings, kind of every couple of days, especially at this time of the year, when you know when 
stuff is shifting from one day to the next, depending on how the Reds do. In August, when we are still paying attention to the Reds, wow. Um, <laughs> but they have the Reds right now finishing, they project them to finish at 79 and 83, okay? Yeah. So that's basically they expect them to play 500 for the rest of the year. So really, I mean, really, all they need is for three games to happen to break their way luck-wise and it's a winning season. That's... You know, that's, that's 82 and 80. And, I mean, honestly, it wouldn't be that surprising if 82 wins got the wild card in the NL. That's a point I was going to make. This is the weakest wild card. I mean, I think 85 wins is the, the lowest number of wins any team has ever. It was the Minnesota Twins a couple of years ago sneaking in the wild yeah. card in the American League. Um, but this year, the teams that are in the mix, I mean, the teams that are right now, if the season ended today, their their pace is to be around 82, 83 wins, I think. Yeah. Uh, to win the wild card. So, uh, And, I mean, you know, the NL this year, except for, like, like the Dodgers at one end and, like, I guess the Marlins at the other end is just, it's carnage. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's a whole bunch of teams that range from pretty good to, to not great. But like there's not it's not like the AL where there's, you know, some behemoths and then a bunch of awful teams. Yeah. It's the NL is just there's a ton of parity in the NL right now. I don't think it's even I think the NL is stronger than the AL right now and I think everybody's just beating up on each other. It could be, certainly in the National League Central. I mean, you're right. You look at the Dodgers who are running away with the National League West, but the Braves are leaders in the East. And, you know, they have, they're a good team, a young, exciting yeah. team, fun team, but they've got lots of flaws. I mean, they're not, you know, yeah. that bullpen is not good. And um, and then you look at the Cubs who are leading the, the Central, who I think are a pretty good team, but still, they've not, they've lost, uh, or not won a, uh, their la- in their last 10 road series, for example. And we hope they lose their current one as well. They've not had, not won a series on the road uh, since you know May or something. So, yeah, it's a and the Reds are seven and five against the Cubs so far this year. So you're right. There's a lot of teams right there, and yes, it is going to be a tall order for the Reds to climb over five or six teams to get into that wild card. But they're also jumbled up. The Reds could jump over four or five of them in one week with a good week. Yes, and and speaking of which, would we would we like to talk about this series with the Cubs? I think we should talk about this series with the Cubs because, uh, um, I don't know, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly not a must win series, four game series. The Cubs coming to town here on Thursday night, playing as we, as we record here, this will be posted a little bit later tonight. So by the time you listen to it, you'll know what has happened on Thursday night, which is a Reds win. We're hoping, um, it's not a do or die series. It's not a must win. You know, I might I might disagree with you here, Chad. Really? I was going to say it's the most important series we've had in, in this town in a long time, probably since the playoffs in, in 13, but I think but I think at a bare minimum they have to split. I think I think given the swing it would have in terms of how far behind they are, I think if if they don't at least split, then I think that the the the, the outlook becomes pretty bleak. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you define must win, uh, you know. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I think if they get swept, they're probably in trouble. But I don't think they have to sweep. I don't think it's so important that they have to sweep. No. But but if they do sweep, if that were to happen, oh boy, get ready. <laughs> yeah, get ready is right. Because, 
then, I mean, then you are really looking at just a four-team dogfight for the rest of the year in the NL Central. Yeah, yeah. You, the Reds, if the Reds could somehow sweep this, they are going to be right in there with uh, the Cubs, uh, the Brewers. I mean, you know, Cardinals. you have to figure over the next, like, four games. So if the Reds beat the Cubs, they would then be three games behind the Cubs if they swept the Cubs. And if, say, let's just say Milwaukee and St. Louis, which are both basically 500 teams anyway, go 2-2, two and two, so then they would each pick up two games on the Cubs. So it would be the Cubs, then one game behind would be the Brewers, one and a half behind would be the Cardinals, and three back would be the Reds. <laughs> and that's in the, that's in the division race. That's, that's the, the division race. We're not even talking about the wild card. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they went four in a row. They're going to jump some teams in that wild card race as well. You don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, that's probably too much to ask, sweeping. But the Reds do have uh, four uh, current or former all-star pitchers lined up to face the Cubs. So, you know, uh, the Reds should be in every game, I guess is what I'm saying. Are they going to win? Are they going to sweep? Well, probably not. But imagine if they won three out of four. I think that makes a real statement yeah. if the Reds can win three think, of these four. I think three out of four is the point at which we can start to get our hopes up. My hopes are already up. Well, further up. Like now I'm like, oh, this is nice. I'm enjoying it. You know, it, it's fun. I like I like watching them play. They're clearly like a pretty good team. But in terms of actually starting to think about, wow, okay, they might actually make the playoffs, like really, really might actually do it, I'm going to need three out of four here. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. With what you're saying, uh, it reminds me of uh, again. I'm going to go back to the movies because I'm a, a one note Johnny here. Uh, movie uh, Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino movie Django Unchained, and Leonardo DiCaprio is in that. And he he says, "You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention." And and you know I think that's what it'll be. Yeah. The Reds have our curiosity now, but if they can win three out of four here, or better, yeah, then they're not just going to have our attention. They're going to have the attention of baseball, and it's uh, and you know. It's it's doable. It's not it's not crazy talk, and we're not throwing Scott Feldman and uh, Lee Salverto out of there at the pitch and Asher Wojciechowski. So no, they're, yeah. they're, you know, Alex, well, Alex, Alex, finally, finally, the offense has woken up, and and that's something I want to talk to you about is the offense. So let's go. It. Let's go ahead and do it because talk, you know, talk to me. I'm going to talk to you. And hey, I'm gonna, Chad. Yes, sir. Talk to me about the offense. Okay, I talk to you about it because you know more about the offense than anyone. Okay. The Reds, uh, you know, we were all sort of hoping at the trade deadline, if the Reds were going to make any moves, they would make some moves to improve the offense, and they did the opposite. They traded away a key part of this offense, Yasiel Puig, who is uh, one of my favorite players, and I know one of yours. Yeah. And I just adored every single minute he was in Cincinnati and would love to have him back at some point. Correct. On all fronts, yes. And I guess the idea now is we're going to go with the Josh Van Meters, and mm-hmm. Aristides Aquino's of the world, and Philip Irvin. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of worked out so far, right? <laughs> so far, it has not been bad. Now, you've seen Aristides Aquino in Louisville quite a bit. Yes. And the rest of us are just starting to get to know him. This is a guy, well, along with Van Meter, neither of those guys were on the radar before this season. Yes. Aquino had kind of dabbled with being a prospect a couple of years ago. You know, he'd been in the mix a little bit, but he never really established himself. And then he makes a change in his swing this uh, this spring with his approach. Completely changes uh, with the work of uh, Donnie Frazier, one of the Reds' uh, hitting coaches, and uh, changes his stance completely. And then Josh Van Meter, we've talked uh, about him and the changes he made. And now these guys are both, I don't know, you know, I, I want the Reds to try to go out and get better players than them 
this offseason if they can. Uh, and I don't want them to just settle because I think they have these guys. But, man, I'm starting yeah. to believe in both those guys. I want to know specifically about Aquino, though, because you and I have talked about Van Meter. Yeah. What, what are your uh, thoughts on Aquino? Well, with with Aquino, I will note that, that I did an interview with him earlier in the season. And if you go search on Red Leg Nation, you can find it. It's, it's back there several weeks ago. But uh, I, I did talk to Aquino. And, I mean, you know, Aquino and Van Meter both are just fantastically interesting because they are not the kinds of guys who normally get attention. Right. I think to some extent Van Meter especially because they're guys that kind of were deemed non-prospects and you have to hit really well as a non-prospect to make somebody pay attention to you. Um, and obviously they both have. With Aquino, it's really just going to be a matter of can he, I guess, keep up the pace you know, that, that he had in the minors. He's got less margin for error than Van Meter does because his plate approach is not as refined. He strikes out more. He walks less. And he's also um, older than Van Meter. He's also older than Van Meter, yeah, but, but what, like, I think a year, right? About a year, yeah, but just in terms yeah. of prospect status. and Yeah, he's a year older, so, you know, there's there's less margin for error there with Aquino. And I think if I were to bet on one of these guys long-term, right now, I would bet on Van Meter. Um, doesn't mean that I'll be right, but that's just based, based on the evidence at hand, that's who I would bet on. Um, but they both, they're both intriguing and it's, I, I like that we're apparently going to get a couple months to see what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, again, I didn't, I did not like trading Yasiel Puig. I was pretty vocal about that, but yeah, I, I am interested to see what's going to happen. They're going to actually give a chance to a couple guys. And so far, you know, they're kind of grabbing that opportunity. Aquino, you know, I had been following him from afar all year and had seen the numbers and it kind of been marveling over the, but he had 28 home runs, a six twenty eight slugging percentage or something in triple a it is i want to break in here and just point out to everybody i know we've said it before and it's been talked about but in case you've been living under a rock triple a is using the major league baseball this year and the major league baseball flies like crazy compared to the minor league baseball so if you're like if you're looking at player stats and you're like wow he really figured it out power wise from double a AA to triple a that might be true but right there may be another explanation it's there yeah so, but I've been watching that, and I was wondering that. You know, that's really fascinating. He's killing the ball down there. Is that a real thing? And then he comes up to the majors, and his first, you know, week essentially, maybe not quite a full week uh, actually, but first three, four games that he played, I, I'm telling you, he looked terrified at the plate. He was swinging almost literally at every single pitch, no matter where it was. Yeah. And it was, uh, you, you kind of felt bad for the kid. Because, you know, he'd had such a successful year, and here he was getting his chance. I mean, he had one, I think he got one at bat last September, so he yeah. had barely played in the big league. This was his chance, and just, it was it was kind of sad to watch. And then all of a sudden, he got that first hit, and it seems like from that point on, he's relaxed, and he's really seeing the ball. He, already tonight, in the, in the first inning, he had a double, an RBI double for the Reds yeah. tonight. I mean, getting your first hit has got to mess with your mind like nothing else. Yeah. And it looked, yeah. you could see it on his face. It seemed like, I mean, I, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm able to read someone's emotions or whatever, but he did look like a kid that was, in, how could you not be? Yeah. It's kind of scared in that moment. Because it's not like, yeah, I, I didn't end up including this in a, in a piece that I wrote up about potential September call-ups. I'm not sure if it went up today or, or if it'll go up tomorrow. Um, but uh, I was talking to 
Bats manager, um, Jody Davis, and uh, and it just happened to be like I just happened to go down there right at the moment that Aquino hit his first home run, and and I was talking to him about how weird people are. I guess like somebody comes up and it's like four at bats, and you look bad, and they're like, "Oh, he sucks." Right. <laughs> it's like no, that's you know, with when you're a pitcher, even like you or I, Chad would eventually make, get somebody out if we were standing on the map. Right, yes. Just by the law of averages. It would happen eventually, right? Well, maybe you, yeah. The same thing is not true of getting hits. Right. <laughs> like, you, you, that's hard. I mean, and obviously pitching is extremely hard. I'm not claiming that either of us would get out of an inning. Right. I'm just saying that eventually we would get an out if they left us in there long enough. Um, and And whereas with, I mean... You know, to it's hard. So if you're not focused, and if you're not in, 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 and then there's that additional strain from like, wow, I'm making my major league debut, or you know, trying to get my first major league hit. Like I, I say, discount every stat that somebody has until they get their first hit, and then start painting. Like let let them let them get their feet wet, let them get used to it, and then and then worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. I made a comment uh, on uh, that awful website called Twitter.com about just how he was swinging and everything and uh, just looking uncomfortable. And that. But I tried to make sure to word it in a way like, this is not a keynote. It's not really who he is. I'm not judging yeah. him based on this. It's it's just right now, this is what he's doing. And yeah, um, and I was glad to see him get that because you could just, the relief on his face. And as he's gotten more comfortable, he's just pounding the ball everywhere. So I don't know what to make of him. You know, again, I, both he and Van Meter, I had known a little about Van Meter, almost nothing. Aquino had been following for the last couple of years, but um, I wanted to get a chance to see these guys. And I, I got to say, everything I've seen so far is I've been extremely impressed. Uh, Aquino's real. I mean, he, that raw power is, is real, it seems to me. And uh, you're right about the plate approach things, but uh, Van Meter is, uh, you know, he has that figured out a little bit more. Uh, I'm in love with Josh Van Meter. I want to see him playing second base every day, frankly for the Reds the rest of the way to see if he can handle it uh, in case he has to be the second baseman next year. So I Listen, I completely, fully, wholeheartedly agree. Josh Van Meter should be the everyday second baseman until the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, don't, see, I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, it just makes too much sense. Um, because if, if he is the guy that we've seen in this short stints, and like, you know, for over a calendar year now and going back to the minor leagues, yeah. he's, he's had a great plate approach. He's hammered the ball. Uh, yeah. no, nothing great. If he's sort of this find and can handle the ball or handle the defense at second base, and his buddy Nick Senzel says he can, I like that quote. They asked Nick Senzel, "You going to go back to want to go back to second base?" He said, "He said no. Nah, that's uh, that's Van Meter's best position. That's his. You know. Um, so I, I would love to see. He's not play, he's playing occasionally at second base. He's playing all over the place. But I, I think he needs to be playing every single day, or you know, five days a week at least." Yeah, I mean, listen, if, if Van Meter is real, and I, I really do think, and I, based on the full seasons and then part of last season's stats, that I, I think that there's a very good chance that Josh Van Meter is for real. And if he is, then that solves almost all of the problems. It solves, it solves a lot of problems. You're right, Jason. Because there's your everyday second baseman. So you, now you've got first, second, third covered. You've got catcher covered. Um, you know, I know people worry about the hitting. I don't worry about hitting with catchers. I, I just can't bring myself to do it. Like, Barnhart and Casali are fine, and it will be fine. Um, but you have to have three good outfield hitters. Yeah, well, you've got Senzel, 
and you've got Winker. Right. And Winker slash Irvin in a platoon, I think. And then you've got question mark in right field. And that could be Aquino. It could be somebody they sign. Um, I think if you're going to give that to Aquino next year, you better be real sure he's for. Yeah. Uh, both of these guys, I am skeptical of them. I'm rooting for them hard, and everything I've seen so far makes me just uh, fall in love with them as players. But, but they don't have that long track record. And without that long track record, I know there are reasons to believe they've made specific changes that can be documented. And and, and looking at Aquino's uh, stance, it is crazy how different it is from the, from his stance last year. Yeah, but, but still, I'm I'm going to remain skeptical of those guys. They're going to have to provide me a little more proof, I guess, because of the, sh- the the shorter track record. Man, that's a big if, though. If if just one of those guys pans out into an everyday big leaguer, that's a huge win for the Reds' uh, de- scouting development. You know, uh, two guys that no one yeah. expected to be big league starters. If one of those guys, if Van Meter is a big league starting big league second baseman at age 25 next year, that's huge. So, I don't know. Four four games out of a wild card. Can can Aquino and and Van Meter and the and the kids put up enough runs? They've started to. They're yeah, hitting, they're hitting the ball. Well, they are. We're, I, I, you know, we'll see. I, it's like you know what was the line you said? It's like uh, they have my curiosity. <laughs> right. They, yeah. They have, but but now they'll have my attention. Uh, so yeah. I'm definitely curious to see what's go, what goes on. I liked uh, Alex Wood made his uh, second start, and I like after the game they won, and then Joey Votto had a pretty good game. And uh, I'm sure you saw the uh, post game interview with Joey Votto. And there's one thing you and I have to talk about Joey Votto before we get off this. But did you see that where he said, you know, they were asking about his he 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 had a stretch there where you know after he stopped choking up, he was hammering the ball again, and the old Joe, and he said, yeah, hopefully let's just make some adjustments. Hopefully those adjustments will carry to those winning moments, and we play really great ball down the stretch. And we're competitive deep into September. You know, sneak on in. Sneak on in, he said. And I got a kick out of that. That's uh, become the hashtag now. Sneak on in. Uh, sneak on into the playoffs. Are, th- are they going to sneak on into the playoffs? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, I love it. You would never lie to me. I would never lie to you. Oh, wow. Now, the other thing about Joey that I want to talk about, and, and the Joey that we're discussing specifically is Joey Votto. They have this players' weekend every year, which I think is oh, a fun thing, you know. Thanks, uh, Joey. <laughs> every player picks a nickname to put on the back of their jersey, and you know, show a little personality. And and, and Votto, I mean, this is classic Joey Votto. Uh, you wanna you wanna tell what Joey's nickname that he chose is? First, can I can I just I'm, um I, I need to pontificate about Joey for a second. You're always welcome to pontificate about Joey. Listen, my, my affection for Mr. Votto is well-known and well-documented. Last year, he put the title of a poem on the back of his jersey. As though he could place himself any more in my wheelhouse, he comes out with in Flanders Fields on the back of his jersey. Okay? And you think, there's no, I mean, and he did Talkie 2 the year before, and you're like, man, he's, there's no way. There's nowhere for him to go, right? Like, He's hit the top. What else can he do? So this year, this year they are announced, and it's, let's just say that when Players Weekend happens, everybody is going to know who's on first for the Reds. Who? The guy on first base. Who? The guy on first. What's the name of the guy on first? 
No, he plays, what does he play, second or third? <laughs> well, who's on first? Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. We're not the uh, comedy no. duo, but that's a classic. We're not Abbott and Costello. We are not. Yes. Joey Votto will have who on the back of his jersey. <laughs> who will literally be on first? Uh, yes, who will literally be on first. <laughs> You know, uh, just after college, I made a trip with some friends to uh, Cooperstown, New York, to the Hall of Fame, and they had that who's on first routine running on a loop. And I, yeah. surely all of you have heard that routine. If you haven't, you really know to go see because we stood there and watched that thing like three times and just laughed out. Because that's the first time I'd actually seen the video of Abbott and Costello performing that, and it is absolutely hilarious. Wait, when was the first time you'd actually seen that? It was after I finished college. I mean, I'd heard about it. I'd read about, you know, it was a, it was a thing, but I'd never, when, when would I have seen that? I don't know. It's just, it's, it's out there. I guess, I guess. I'm 98 years old, man. You were in college. Computers hadn't been invented yet. So. Exactly. It was also the dial it up on my abacus. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. It was, (laughs) it was the olden days. Right. The olden days. I don't know how I'd never seen that. And I stood there just mesmerized by it. Third base. That was just, that's good. So go watch that uh, if you haven't seen it yet. And Joey Votto, you are the best. Now, uh, I wanted to talk to you as well, since we're talking about sneaking on in and, and all that. And by the way, uh, I don't know if you're able to look and see what the score is at the Reds game. Uh, I can I can check quickly. It was 1-1 last I knew. Yeah, don't look. Uh, don't look. It's Alex Wood has not pitched well tonight. Cubs are leading 5-1 five, five in the third. Oh, Chad. Yeah. So this is not uh, starting out so well, and all those blue-shirted minions are probably screaming their heads off at Great American Ballpark. Ugh. So anyway, uh, you know Nick Kirby, who's uh, one of our uh, fellow Red Leg Nation writers. Yes. He had this theory that he floated that if the Reds could hang around the playoff race until August 22nd, things get a lot easier for the Reds. And so I went and looked at that, and I think he's on to something. I think he, he's even underselling it i think you go to august 19th which is really it's, soon it's possible it's possible that if you followed this guy jason linden on twitter that he pointed that out three or four weeks ago yeah i muted that guy like four seasons ago i mean he's a turd so i don't blame <laughs> um the the reds at the all-star break the reds had the second most difficult schedule yeah in all of baseball and so the flip side of that is the last, you know, six weeks of the season, I think really beginning on August 19th when San Diego, last place Padres come in to Great yeah. American Ballpark. From that point forward, the Reds play only one team that is currently probable to make the playoffs, and that's the Cubs. Um, the last 22 games that they play on the road, 13 of them are against current last place teams. Zero are against teams that are currently one of the playoff spots. So if they can do well on the road, and uh, you know, win a decent amount at home, I and mean, they could really finish strong. And so, yeah, you- that's 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 definitely possible. And I remember, you know, even right at the beginning of the year, whenever you know you're obsessively like looking at the schedule, the Reds really came out of the gate with a rough opening schedule. Um, their first couple of months was just, especially was just killer. I mean, it was basically like a running rotation of like Cubs, Dodgers, and assorted other like competitive teams. Um, and so it wasn't that surprising that they didn't exactly come steaming out of the gate, but it didn't make it any more enjoyable either. Right. Right. So I guess, you know, the only, th- the only thing this tells us is 
we should still have hope. We can still dream about this team because they can just hang around like they are now. Just hang around. You know, there's a real path, I guess is the way I would put it. There's a real path to getting somewhere in the vicinity. And if the Reds don't make the playoffs, but they're kind of hanging around the race until the end of the season, however they end up, that's a win for me. Does that make sense? Yes. Wow, you've never said anything I said made sense before. Well, you know, there's a first time for everything. So four wins out of five, eight of the last 11, uh, four straight series wins, and not starting off well. But they're going to win this Cubs series, at least three out of four. Well, they'll come back tonight for sure. Yeah, I mean, Aquino's going to hit a home run. Suarez is destroying the ball. Have you watched Eugenio Suarez lately? Can I have. And can I just point something out that if this were to ever to happen, how sonorously pleasing uh, Joey Gino Aquino would be back to back to back. Joey Gino Aquino. Anybody else we can put in there? Let's see. They're two, three, four tonight. So you just let's just get three home runs. Let's you know, let's oh, just yes. do it. Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, why yeah. not? Uh, looking down the stats here, you know, uh, no one's noticed, but uh, have you seen Jesse Winker's numbers? So- uh, solidly no, above I'm average. Attention to Winker. Solidly above average. Has he gotten himself back kind of to where he was supposed to be? Yeah, he's a 110 OPS plus right now, 823 OPS. Yeah, that's that's I mean, kind of, you know, with, that's within the range for what you would expect from Jesse Winker. Yeah, when you, you know? consider the awful start, you know, I think. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably near the bottom end, but it, right. it, you know, it was... If if someone had told either of us that Winker would be like ten or fifteen percent above average as a hitter this year, we would have been like, yeah, okay, right. And he's just twenty five still, so you know, I mean, uh, plenty of room uh, for him to improve on those next few years. I, I like I don't I don't like Winker against uh, left handed pitchers ever. I've decided. But, yeah, well, so have the Reds seemingly. Yeah, I mean, I think they're I think they're probably right about that. I went back and looked at his minor league splits. And he's, he's really, it's been a long time since he had any kind of even moderate success against left-handers. So, you know, he's such a good hitter that I want to see him in the lineup every day, but I can probably uh, agree with a decision to sit him against most right left-handers anyway. Um, but then you, you play to his strengths, and he becomes a valuable hitter when he is in there. Um, just looking yeah. down these stats here, who else we need to talk about, Jason? Any other individuals we need to talk about? Yeah, there's one I want to talk about. Anyone you want to talk about before I mention this one? Well, I'll let you go. You go ahead. Have your moment. Okay, Jose Iglesias. Can we talk about Jose Iglesias? Yes, let's. We need to talk about Jose Iglesias. I really, really like Jose Iglesias. He is so good with the glove; it is sometimes uh, just uh, jaw dropping. Yes, he makes some plays sometimes that we've not seen a shortstop making since then a long time. Well, at least since Jack, Zach Cozart. Right. That long. I was more thinking D'Angelo Jimenez, but... Didn't he play second? He did, but I like saying his name. Okay. Um, Jose Iglesias. He's hitting 287. Yeah. 43 ribeye stakes. Uh-huh. Great defense. Yeah. The Reds should sign him to a two-year contract. That's what I'm being told on Twitter.com. Well, you know, incorrect. Uh, no. I have been hammered for a couple days as being a Jose Iglesias hater, which I'm not. I love when he gets a clutch hit. You know, I love watching him play defense. But the facts are the facts. He's one of the worst hitters in the National League. It's just, those are facts. 
he's been extremely enjoyable to watch play, and he has been solid enough. I mean, really, his defense, even with his bad bat, makes him roughly a league average player. But that's fine. Yeah, I'll take that. He's going to be thirty next year, and like now, yeah, and he's you know he's never really hit. He's not hit this year. No, he's he is who he is. Like he's he's a glove first shortstop who's going to be, you know, between ten and twenty percent below average with the bat. That's who he is. Right. He's not going to suddenly. Although Josh Van Meter kind of changed overnight, but as a thirty year old or twenty nine year old this year, I can't imagine Iglesias sort of changed and become a better player all of a sudden overnight. His hitting st- statistics are kind of in line with everything we've seen in his whole career. And yep. the, I guess the problem is people see that batting average, 287, and when I was, you know, 12 years old, I look at the back of a baseball card, 287 average. That was a good hitter. Um, yeah. And so they look at that, which is which is a, is a good batting average, what that's worth. But they don't you don't see the other stuff. And this is at an age where there are lots of sluggers and balls are getting hammered all over the place. Yeah. And his hitting statistics look good if we're in the mid eighties, but uh, you know, that's why his stats, he ranks as one of the least productive hitters in the national yeah. league. And those are just, those are the facts because he's all, he has no power. Yeah. So, but that's not criticizing Glaze. He is what he is. And I'm, he's been, I'm glad the Reds had him this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could you could go with an, an Iglesias Peraza combination, say it's short. I mean, the Reds, you know, Jose Peraza at, at this point, I mean, he shows flashes for a while. Yeah, but but he, I mean, he continues to just not really keep it up. Um, and you know, you can you can only slump so much, man. Yeah, at some point but, you got to grab the brass ring. Yeah. Take advantage and, of your opportunities. He, he certainly has not. Well, after a great year last year, uh, just yeah. uh, I'm disappointed in Peraza this year. Uh, so, and now that we've said that, Jose Peraza will go like 17 for his next 22 or something like that. <laughs> hey, guess what just happened? What? Aristides Aquino just hit a two-run home run. <laughs> Reds are still down five-three, but the comeback is on. I told you. I told you. <laughs> Aquino, man, that guy. Oh. Um, so anyway, I don't dislike Jose Iglesias. I really like watching Jose Iglesias defensively, certainly. Yeah. Um, it's just the batting average and he's gotten a few key hits, which are great. I love when he gets key hits from the Reds, but that's caused people to kind of overrate his offensive ability relative to the rest of the league. And, uh, so yeah. And, and, and the response there is there's a reason the Reds got him on a minor league contract. No, no team was willing yeah. to give him a major league contract before this season. He didn't all of a sudden figure out how to play after that. Major League teams are smart. Yeah. So even the Marlins wouldn't sign him to a Major League deal. So he will probably get a Major League deal. I don't know if he will get a Major League deal or not going into next year. I just don't know. I don't know what the market – I don't understand the market these days. I don't either. I don't think anybody does. It's going to be a very interesting and and a little bit scary probably offseason. Yeah, you know, Iglesias and Dietrich, we kind of lumped them together because they were the Reds offseason acquisitions both on minor league deals, but – Kind of similar. Those are both. Those are two legitimate major league players that should yeah, be I mean, scrambling honestly, for a job. Listen, in the in the current environment, if you think about it, if your bench is say Derek Dietrich, Jose Iglesias, Kyle Farmer, and a catcher, that'll do. Or Kyle Farmer as the catcher, and then you know someone else. Yeah, as the backup. No, you're right. Yeah, 
Wolf Irvin, say, as your fourth outfielder or whatever. Um, and, and that's why Iglesias and Dietrich were, were signed to do, and then everybody yeah. kind of got out of their skis a little bit because they, you know, Dietrich had that great start. And his overall Man. numbers are still pretty good, uh, but he's always just sort of been a bench guy, and he's a good bench guy. I love having him around. He can yeah, play some he's, different positions. He's, the, he's like the perfect utility player. You can stick him pretty much anywhere except short and center, and yeah. he's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and nobody really wants to face him coming off the bench. Right, right. Love Derek Dietrich. Uh, they need to uh, uh, take go to arbitration with him and keep him around next year. Iglesias, I just, you know, um, he will look for a place where he can get the most playing time. They, he may decide that's here. The Reds may assure him that it's here, I, you know. And I think you can probably live with him as the shortstop. I, I do. I'm like you. I like some sort of combination, he and, and Peraza. But I don't know. I think that's a position the Reds really need to be looking to upgrade. If Paul, it's a difficult position to upgrade. But, yeah, uh, you know, they need to call the Cleveland Indians. Oh, can we get Francisco Lindor, please? How long do we have to ask? God, can you, man? I know this is this is just like the fantasy that you and I like to indulge in right now, right. For whatever reason. But I mean, could you imagine? No, I can't because I mean, you you put Lindor on this team, and I feel like the Reds are like become basically the front runners in the NL. I think that the Reds are probably that close to where one guy, if it's a guy like that, yeah, probably does put them in the mix for a pennant. And and let me say something. There is no one on the trade market who will get that, or on the on the free agent market this season, that you can get that will do that. There is not a single player, but there are guys who might be open in trades. And, I mean, the Indians, I don't know, like they seem to be trying to like do like a, I don't uh, know what they're doing. Yeah, onside kick or whatever, and like I don't know, I, I don't understand what the Indians are trying to do. But There's let them have whoever they want out of the farm system for a couple of years on Lindor. Oh, easy, easy. You name who you want. Yeah, I would. I would let them take the top three prospects in the system and not think twice about it. <laughs> I got some more Aristides Aquino uh, trivia. His two-run homer had a 118.3 mile per hour exit velocity, tied for the hardest hit in all of baseball in 2019. What is going on? I think I believe in that guy. He hits the ball hard. <laughs> he doesn't. He's seeing it well now. Now the league will yeah. adjust, and you know he's still a kid. But whew, that's fun. That is fun. So anyway. Um, there's someone else I wanted to talk about. I can't remember. Uh, Tyler Malley. I want to talk about Tyler Malley, who's Let's injured talk. right now. Yeah. He's 2-10 and 10 this year. So. Garbage. Don't talk to me about wins and losses, Chadwick. Ulysses Dotson. Tyler Malley sucks. That's what I'm to- I've been told. You suck. His ceiling is as a number five starter. That's what I was told this week. Well, people are idiots. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we point out Tyler Malley is two and 10. His yeah. ERA is 4.93 this year, which is slightly below league average. Um, yeah. League average is pretty high this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his ERA plus is 93. So he's a little below uh, league average. Right. Uh, but, but Tyler Malley is going to be in the starting rotation all year long next year, unless the Reds go out and, you know, acquire, I don't know who, uh, Garrett, Garrett Cole or somebody. Yeah, no, Tyler Malley's going to be in the rotation next year. And I would not be surprised if he's, uh, you know, his numbers at the end of the year are as good as anyone not named Castillo. 
his raw numbers at the end of the year. Now, he, I, I, I don't expect that out of him, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened because he's always gotten people out everywhere he's been, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He's never been bad at any level. And he's always been young for every level. He's yeah. just and, he's 24. Yeah, he's another guy who is and this is this is something that people really really need to understand, okay? So, Tyler Malley was like what, like a 7th round pick, right? Yeah. Okay. I think 7th, yeah. Yeah, so what I mean what people don't get is how much where you get picked in the draft determines how much you get talked about while you're in the minor leagues. No question. Because Tyler Malley has positively lapped, for instance, Robert Stevenson in terms of results at every single level. And who have you heard more about? Right. This is exactly my point. Yeah. Okay. Malley was so, 22 when he debuted in the big leagues, seventh round. Yeah. And that's all, yeah. that's not on hype. That's what the point you're trying to make is that's on performance. Yeah. Right. Kyle Farmer just drove in Jose Iglesias, 5-4 Cubs. There we go. Oh, it's, man. it's on. This team is fun. So, yes. So, anyway, you were saying about Mally. So, you, it's, that's just, I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be a good pitcher, you know, at least by the fan graphs measure of wins above replacement, which, you know, does, is, is significantly different from baseball reference. He's been, if he were to pitch a full season, an above average starter this year. Basically, basically, fan graphs looks at his numbers and says, you've been a little bit unlucky. Yeah. Um, which is probably true. And that's but why he's striking out a lot of batters. He's not walking very many batters, which is pretty much the Tyler Malley that we were told to expect. It's been his he's gotten that control. He's made that adjustment to the big leagues. And next year, he's going to be probably the number four starter. I mean, he will be the number four starter on the rotation. And if he gets any offensive support at all, I'm going to predict that he wins 12 to 15 games. Yeah, there's the, no reason that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, you look at the fielding independent numbers. They're pretty good. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, the peripheral numbers are there. And he, and, but I keep coming back. It's the guy that debuted at 22. Pitchers who debut at 22, you don't at age 24 say, "Ah, I give up," because they're two and yeah. ten. You know, an ERA almost five. I'm I'm in love with Tyler Malley just because he is. He I've been in love with uh, Stevenson along the way because he's dazzling to watch when he, you know, his ball moves all over the place. Yeah. But but Malley's been dazzling because he's actually performed everywhere he's been. So let's not give up on him. Yeah. Can we give up on Wandy Peralta? You know, I, we can you can use Wandy Peralta to segue into a discussion. Okay, it's going to be a quick one. We need to get out because we got this Chris Welsh interview. All right. So something that people should be prepared for is that a lot of names that you have gotten pretty familiar with are not going to be around next year. That's true. Good point. Because a whole lot of people are about to run out of options. Uh, Sal Romano is out of options after this year. Stevenson already is out of options. That's why he made the team, frankly. Uh, Cody Reed is out of options after this year. Um, I said Sal, right? I said he Romano. Did, yes. Um, Carrie Maya is out of options after this year. Wandy Peralta is out of options after this year. And there are some others that I'm forgetting. Um, but I basically... All of these guys that the Reds have been shuttling back and forth between AAA for the last few years, uh, the time has come to uh, to use the, the the expression to fish or cut bait with these guys. They have to decide who's going to stick on the roster and who needs a change of scenery. And I thought you were going to use a less delicate phrase there, so I appreciate you using that one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 
so the Reds, some of those guys are going to be are going to get changes of scenery, and it's not necessarily reflective of the fact that the Reds don't think they're major league pitchers, so much as it is reflective of the fact that the Reds can't carry them all. Right, and and they've not grabbed their chance when they got the opportunity yet. Not to say they couldn't in the future or won't. No. I mean, it is also worth noting that I don't think either Hughes or Hernandez are under contract after this year, right? Hughes has, has a, uh, I, think, I think, a team option. Right. So not necessarily. So the Reds could roll the dice. You know, I, I think Hughes is unlikely to get re-signed. So there, there probably will be space, but people should be ready for things to, to shift substantially there. That's a great point. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, Cody Reed's a guy that gets back uh, from injury and, and establishes himself a little bit the rest of the way because I'd love to see that left-handed arm in the Reds bullpen going forward that maybe they can, you know, uh, keep him around, but you're right. There's going to be a lot of, and, and not just that, but there's going to be also some, a lot of changes. You would think this is going to be an active winner where the Reds it's time to finally start filling in the holes. And so who knows who's going to be traded and who's going to be here still. It's going to be a fascinating winner. So let's look and see if the Reds have taken the lead here yet. Base promoted with Nick Senzel batting. <laughs> My goodness. It's so glorious. All right, well, um, that's that's enough for tonight. We didn't uh, get in any viewer mail because we have this uh, fun interview with Chris Welsh. Chris Welsh has joined us, you know, once or twice a year, each of the last, I don't know, five, six years. And uh, it's always fun talking to him. And uh, this is this one was uh, no different. Uh, our, our godfather, Bill Lack, talked to him. And uh, going to talk to... Uh, Bill Lack is our godfather? He's the godfather of the podcast, I guess. But... Uh, uh, he uh, he talked to Chris uh, this time and really fun. They're going to talk in a, uh, sort of more longer form later. This is a short one that they uh, Chris didn't have a ton of time, but he did, did want to talk to Red Lake Nation. We really appreciate him doing that. So we're going to uh, lead into that interview now. Here's Bill Lack and Chris Well. Today I'm your host, Bill Lack, and again we're joined by Reds broadcaster and longtime friend of Red Leg Nation, Chris Welsh. Chris, thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure to visit with you, Bill. Chris, the last time you were on, you asked me how long we've been doing this, and I went back and looked, and the first one we did was in May of 2006. Wow, you're, uh, I can't remember what the starting rotation was back in those days, but uh I think that uh, we've probably aged better than the guys who were pitching back in those days. Well, and I can tell you they got a better rotation now than they did then. I guess they do. Uh, Chris, I want to ask you about, let's just talk, I don't want to talk about this 2019 team for the most part, but I feel like like they're this close to being a good team, but they just can't seem to get over the hump. And And do you think there's a realistic chance that they can stay in the playoff hunt the rest of the year? Well, yeah, I do, actually. You know, people talk about, you know, uh, uh, this series being ultra-important, that series, Cubs coming into town, you know, uh, the first couple weeks there in, in August, and you've got to take four out of four from the Cubs. I don't think that's the case. Look around baseball and see some of these teams that are put on winning streaks. The Mets have, what I think, won what, at 1.9 in a row. Other teams put a six-game winning streak together. That's what's been missing with this ball club is to be able to go through the rotation one time, win every game, span it out to a couple more beyond that. And all of a sudden you start picking up some, some ground and you begin to, to leapfrog the teams that are now ahead of you. And I think that's important to do. What, what's your main impression of, of, of this team up until this point? I think that it's a team that was kind of didn't have an identity at the beginning of the year. That was one of the things that David Bell was trying to instill upon them. 
Um, you know, they're changing a lot of different things, the way they approach the, the game planning, the uh, adaptation of analytics, which numbers are important, which ones aren't. you got a new hitting coach. you got a new pitching coach. I mean, it was trying to find out who they are. Uh, and I think that now that that's kind of been established, um, you get to the trade deadline, now you trade some guys away, you bring some young kids in, and now we have to find out who they are all over again. Uh, but I, I think that uh, they believe in themselves. I love teams that have an infusion of youth, and that's why I really like this ball club now. I actually like it better now than I did at the beginning of the year, by far. I think this team is, is very entertaining, at times very frustrating, uh, but it has it has as much personality as I remember any team Reds team having in a recent future. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, uh, you you have the infusion of youth. You have uh, different faces that you weren't used to seeing. You have Jose Iglesias playing shortstop like a like an acrobat. Uh, you have some young players like Van Meter and and, and Winker and Urban coming up and doing something. Uh, so, and then of course you have the the maturing of of uh, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray getting it together and so on, and the pitching being really good. Uh, Amir Garrett uh, establishing himself as an All Star caliber pitcher. So those are things that are exciting. I mean, I think people when they think exciting, they think about watching Yasiel Puig, you know, uh, throw a baseball from right field or uh, take a big swing and hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, I think exciting is is new faces. Uh, energy, um, a, a, a will to get out there and play as hard as you can. And I think this ball club is finally doing that. Uh, and they haven't been doing it for the last few years. They just seem like they have been waiting back uh, for the front office to do something. And they have this excuse that they, they were really not supposed to win or were really not supposed to compete, and they played like that. And I think that those days are over, thankfully. Yeah, going back to what you said a little earlier, I've, I've said all year that I expected this team to, to make a run, to win 10 out of 15 or, or you know, uh, 10 out of, you know, 16 or something like that. And and they haven't done that yet. You just feel like it's going to be in there somewhere. And they've got eight of their next 11 at home, but, it's you know, these eight of the, the next 10 days are going to tell us a lot about this team with the Cubs and Nationals and the Cardinals, I think. No question. I think they've been, obviously, by record, a much better team at home. Uh, they feel good about playing at home. They don't feel so great about being on the road. They s- seem to just be so close, but, you know, just come up short so many times. And I think that eventually when you start winning a few of those games, all of a sudden you get into that situation. And as I remember as a former player on the good teams I played with, those teams expected to win the close ball games, not just hoped to win those close ball games, and not just hoped to be in a close ball game. And I think at the beginning of the year, the expectation was, hey, let's keep everything close. This team can be competitive. Maybe they can get to 500 this year. And if that's the case, then, you know, it's a good stepping stone to the years in the future. Uh, but now that they're close to it, you're thinking, hey, the people in this division aren't really all that good. These teams are not as good as advertised. And uh, maybe we're better than we think. So I, hopefully that's the mindset that they've got going now. Uh, they just announced uh, this afternoon that Jared Hughes has dropped his appeal for his suspension, and he's going to start serving it tonight. So I guess the, really the only other suspension is, is Garrett, or am I forgetting about somebody? Well, well, I think it's only Garrett. I mean, you know, <laughs> Garrett's the one that everybody's worried about or right. thinking about because he's the one who's most uh, most difficult to replace. In fact, he's irreplaceable. There's nobody on the roster that can come anywhere close to Garrett. 
Um, I look back on that whole situation, and I just shake my head, and it was just, it was just stupidity. What, to let your emotions get the best of you like that, I just wonder what in the world could they possibly have been chirping at him from the dugout to make him race over there, and in the process, forget completely how important you are to the ball club, and that if you charge an, an opposing dugout and cause a fist fight, uh, you're going to be suspended. I don't care if it's one game or if it's ten games. Uh, the team's going to miss you. And the team is dearly going to miss uh, uh, Amir Garrett. So if this ball club's scrambling and fighting to get back into the race, and they fail to do so, and it happens to be because left-handed hitters are having their way with right-handed receivers, then, you know, that, that suspension is, is a whole season-turning situation. And I just shake my head... Uh, uh, you know, I, I wish that it had never happened. I understand the emotions of the game. I've done things, you know, in the heat of the battle, set things to managers and set things to my other players and players on the other team. But at some point, you have to realize, you know, you've got to be bigger than, than the words that they're shouting at you. And uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case there with that Pittsburgh series. Yeah, and honestly, I thought he, I, I honestly thought he'd be suspended for more games than he actually ended up getting. Yeah, I'm not really sure how. Um, uh, MLB decides on that, and I think it's probably very subjective. Uh, but I, I thought the same as you that they could real re, if they really want to stop this kind of thing, MLB could stop it tomorrow. And the way they do that is with you know much stiffer uh, penalties, more suspensions. And if they do that, guys will stop throwing at each other, and players will stop rushing benches. Yeah, I mean, it, but in addition to the suspensions, the umpires got to get on top of it also. I thought the umpires missed it big. Uh, I, I think as, as soon as uh, Keone Kella uh, ended up throwing the ball over the head of Dietrich, I said that you know that's that, that right there. Here's a guy that you know wasn't up there at all. Uh, he's a big league pitcher with decent control, and you throw it right over the guy's head. I mean, that's you don't have to wait. You don't necessarily have to follow the procedure, you know. Um, and because I can guarantee you that these umpires are briefed about what's going on between these two ball clubs. It should have been something that he was aware of, and he should have been tossed in the game immediately. Had he done that, uh, it probably would have settled the whole situation right down there. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and it it would have stopped it in its tracks, and we would and it wouldn't have exploded the way it did. Um, I want to move on a little bit, and let's talk about the trade deadline deals that they made. Do Do you think these these deals say anything about the front office philosophy moving forward compared to past years? Absolutely. I mean, hey, the Reds have been notorious for falling in love with their own mediocre players. And, and uh, thankfully, uh, that's changed. Uh, that these guys are willing to take a chance. I, I, I don't draw a direct line between analytics and their, their dedication to numbers and big data or anything else. I just draw a, 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 a line to the fact that, you know, Dick Williams and Nick Cole are new blood. They're not afraid to make deals. They're not afraid to make mistakes. They're, they're taking the best information that they can assemble, and they're going to make a deal. And the whole reason that they picked up Puig in the first place and, um, you know, uh, Tanner Roark, for instance, was to deal at the deadline. Uh, unless the team was in first place or really close to convention, that's what they were going to do. So they followed their program. It was really no surprise to me. And uh, they're preparing for the future because, remember, this team still has a lot of free agents uh, at the end of this year that they've got to figure uh, some, some spots to fill. Yeah, the only thing that I had problem with with the Bauer deal was 
they dealt, you know, Puig had, had been coming on a little bit offensively, and they dealt him, on, and they're a team that needs offense. Uh, so they, you know, now whether they did it to get a look at, you know, a more of a look at Van Meter and, and, and Aquino now that we're seeing and, and some of these other guys or not, but it seemed like they dealt from a position of weakness, and, you know, they dealt Trammell when he's at a, a low ebb in his, you know, minor league career. He's not having a real good year. Uh, I, I guess I just question the Bauer deal. Uh, I, I understand the theory behind it, but it doesn't seem like they got what they needed and they gave up what they what they needed. I don't know if I agree with you there, Bill. You might be right that they did trade from a position of weakness because Trammell was at, at a low ebb. But, you know, I've had some scouts tell me, not Red Scouts, some other scouts tell me, that they didn't think Trammell was ever really going to be able to hit big pitch on. And uh, even though he, to me, he's... Yeah, I've only seen him play in the Futures game. He, he looks like the best player in the field at times. I just see him play a little bit in the Fall League last year down in Arizona. But, um, you know, that aside, I haven't seen him enough to make form a personal opinion on him. I have seen Trevor Bauer. And when I've seen Bauer in the pressure situations, uh, pitch like uh, an ace of the staff, and I've also seen Bauer fold under pressure. So uh, I think that if, if you're going to um, move forward, you, you can't do it with anybody that you have down in AAA. You can't do it with the guys that you have on your staff right now. You've got to improve your staff to the point where you find a guy who can really get to the next level. And Bauer's that guy. I mean, he can get to the next level. Whether he does, we don't know. But he's done it before. And I think that this is where I go back to where I say the best signing that the Reds made all winter long was bringing Derek Johnson in as pitching coach. Because if anybody can get Bauer going in the right direction, it would be Derek Johnson. I, I'm a believer in what he does. He's a great listener. Uh, he understands um, a lot more about pitching than you would expect a guy that ever pitched in the big leagues to uh, understand. And uh, I have a great respect for him. I think that he is uh, he's a guy. If anybody's going to get anything out of Bauer, it'll be Derek Johnson. And, and I, I want to talk a lot more about the Red, uh, Reds pitching in our, in our next segment that we're going to do in part two of this. But, I wanted to ask you about the Jeanette trade. Basically, it was a giveaway. Uh, and do you think it was just to make room to get to get Peraza and Van Meter and some of these younger guys at bats the second half of the season? Or the, the remainder? They were going to resign. Uh, you know, if they wanted to resign Scooter Jeanette, they would have already done so. Right. You know, he was, he was uh, asking about it during spring training. He made it very clear, made it public. Uh, and the Reds had moved. So they weren't going to bring him back. I mean, you, you can't tell me from watching Scooter Jeanette that you found his defense is adequate up the middle. Uh, you know, going through, I mean, he's getting older. He's not going to get any, any faster. He's got had a, had a major leg injury. Uh, I, I, you know, giveaways because they couldn't get anything else for him. Uh, believe me, they tried to trade Scooter Jeanette uh, a lot this season, and there just are no takers out there. So I'm not the only one seeing this from Jeanette. Uh, I don't know whether Josh Van Meter uh, can be your second baseman. I, I'm still on the fence about Jose Peraza. There's some things that Peraza does that are impressive. Uh, there are some things that makes me leave me scratching my head. But uh, I think there's time to move on and. Because the replacement player that you get for Jeanette, whoever it may be, is going to be as good as Jeanette going forward. At least that's my opinion. Okay, and and I want to talk about one more thing, and then we're going to get out of here for part one. I want to ask about about David Bell. What are your impressions of David Bell three quarters of the way his first season as, as big league manager? Has he done anything to surprise you, either pleasantly or unpleasantly? 
Well, and the thing that he surprised me, that, I mean, he pleasantly surprised me, is that he understands uh, the whole team concept and how it's important. I don't mean the team on the field. I mean the team of the front office and the coaches and the players and the scouts and everything together. Uh, I think that he really understands that is so very important to a winning ball club. Everybody's got to be on the same page. Even if you have differing opinions in these meetings, you still have to decide what you're going to do and move forward. And I think that there's no internal battle going on between the front office and the manager's office like there has been. I mean, you go back to, you know, Dusty Baker's days or even Brian Price. There was a constant battle, it seemed like, about things that, you know, and I know that there's still disagreements, but I think Bell understands and Dick Williams understands that this has got to be a unit. We're all on the same team here. And I think that's one thing that's really surprised me. Not surprised me, but it's impressed me. The thing that's kind of surprised me is that he's really gone out of his way to protect his players, uh, maybe even more than he probably expected he would. And, you know, with all the ejections, if you go back and look at his ejections, they're all basically protecting his players uh, or who are arguing balls and strikes. And uh, I, I'm a little surprised that he's done it to the extent that he has. Uh, I think that he's trying to get uh, to the point where his players know that, you know, that uh, he's got their back no matter what. But at the same time, you don't want to turn your ball club into a bunch of whiners. Uh, you know, about arguing on three one pitches that are marching when the balls are shot. So I think that he'll get past that. But I can tell you from being inside this clubhouse, the guys really like him. They respect him, and they know that he's got their back. And I think that goes a long way with the way they're going to play for him. It, it's funny with with Bell that you hear you and if you, and you read Twitter and you read the stuff online and, and all these kind of things. There's two real camps of of, of Bell. There's the guys like me. I, I'm really impressed. I'm real happy with him. And I, I went out to dinner with my dad a couple of weeks ago, and he thinks Bell's the dumbest manager he's ever seen in the, in, in the, in the planet. I mean, and I think that's kind of a generational thing. He, he talked about Bunning. He talked to you know, and, and I think it, it was really fun to, to talk to my dad about this because our opinions are so different on David Bell. Well, I, I think to remember that there's, you know, I always go back to Sparky Anderson's book about managing, and there's four things that, you know, a manager has to do. Number one, he's got to get along with the front office. Then he's got to get along with the media. And then he has to uh, have his, the backs of his players. And then number four, and the least important, is how does he actually manage and strategize a game? And uh, Sparky always thought that that was the least important of all those. Um, and uh, I think Bell understands that. I, I mean, you, you can second-guess what he's doing sometimes. Uh, uh, but at the same time, this ball club, I mean, I disagree with you with the, you know, with Queens. He got hot, but I mean, start looking at his, his year by year and then month by month, and he's a very average player. Bottom line for Yankee is that he's famous for being famous and, and not much else. So uh, he, had a, he had players like this that were basically not making contact, that were not putting the ball in play. Uh, and putting David Bell into a situation where he had to do things uh, to try to generate runs and was unable to do it. So uh, I, I think that uh, I mean, Bottle got off to a horrible start. Everybody got off to a horrible start. Uh, the, the catching uh, offense was basically a black hole. Uh, this is before Senzel came up. Jesse Winter got off to a horrible start his first 25 or so at bats. 
So, I mean, Bell's trying to do something, and he gets blamed for not managing well when I think all those other parts of, of managing are for as important for him to start off his tenure than it was actually on-field strategy. He's a better manager now that they're hitting better, I can tell you that. <laughs> Wouldn't they always say you're a better manager with better players? Well, that's Sparky was the first guy to say that, and uh, he, he knew it firsthand. Yep. We're going to let Chris get out of here today, and, and we're going to get back together next week and record the second part of this. But, Chris, thank you very, very much for, for coming on with us today and giving us your time. As always, we really appreciate it. All right, Bill. Looking forward to it. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. And we're back. This is Jason Linden and me. I'm Chad Dotson. Jason, you got any final thoughts for us before we uh, before we head out here? Um, well, me, I'm Ted Dotson. I, you know, my final thoughts are what they always are: go Reds, ah, be better yeah. than the Cubs and everybody else. Yes, go Reds. That's all we can say for Jason Linden and Aristides Aquino. This is Chad Dotson saying, "So long, everyone." Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.